Welcome, my friends, to the Bob and Brad podcast. My name is Mike Keenis, and today I'm interviewing Michelle from Virtual Hand Care. She is a licensed occupational therapist and certified hand therapist. She also is an ergonomic assessment specialist and professional yoga therapist. Her website is virtualhandcare.com, and she also has a great YouTube channel with the same name. Today, we're going to be talking about lots of different hand issues, including carpal tunnel syndrome, tingling and numbness in your hand that isn't carpal tunnel syndrome, also trigger finger and osteoporosis of the hands. So without further ado, here is Michelle. So welcome, Michelle, to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. So today we're going to talk about all things hand health related. So before we get into it, would you mind telling our audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I am an occupational therapist. Um, Just a quick background. I've been an occupational therapist uh, since 2004. So pretty soon, soon, almost uh, 20 years. And um, I, when I first started, I tried my hand at a little bit of different um, settings, like some pediatric, some inpatient, uh, but ultimately I fell in love with outpatient orthopedics. And that's where pretty much almost these whole 20 years I've had experience working with people with upper extremity injuries in more of an orthopedic type of setting. And um, I've been lucky enough to work under some wonderful hand surgeons and wonderful physical therapists and occupational therapists. Um, And a a lot of those occupational therapists were certified hand therapists also. And when you work with certified hand therapists, you also want to kind of get that experience and that knowledge. So uh, in 2012, after I'd worked for a while in the orthopedic practice, got a lot of experience, I decided to get my certified hand therapy certification. So I sat for that in 2012 and passed. And I say that excitingly because it only has like a 50% passing rate and there's only there's less than 7,000 certified hand therapists in the whole United States. And so, and even in the whole world, there's not that many. So it's a pretty tough exam, but it really helps you understand as a therapist, just more about the upper extremity. So you're specializing in from the shoulder, Um, all the way down to the fingertips. So I feel like that's really helped me uh, kind of be the expert in upper extremity health. And so I I have been working in in hands for, like I said, almost the whole, my whole entire career. Uh, But as I was working in like a really, really busy, busy clinic, seeing tons and tons of people, I felt like over time, over many years of doing that, you get a little burnt out. You kind of feel like you're you're not giving your patients like quality of care. And there was like so many times that I would be so busy, I might forget to tell somebody an exercise. And so then I would like call them up on the phone and be like, hey, I forgot to tell you, do this exercise. And you know, you're taking your work home with you. And um, I'd be trying to explain an exercise to somebody over the phone. <laughs> and that's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to do. But I, over time, I started thinking, like, why can't I show these people some videos, right? Why can't I, I need to start, like, sending these people some videos. And and I started, I actually started uploading some videos on YouTube. I had no 
I, I had no plan at all. Like I didn't know what I was doing. I was in the corner of my bedroom with like horrible lighting. And really I was like, well, these are some common exercises. I'll just do a video on this. And so I did a video on uh, hand stiffness exercises and where I was living at the time, uh, the time to upload that one video was like a day. It took like a whole day to upload that video. <laughs> so I was like, I'm not going to be doing this very much. <laughs> so I think I, I uploaded like a few videos here and there. That was in 2016. And so then I would like refer some of my patients to those videos. But over time, I started noticing I was getting tons of comments and uh, about how like those videos were helping people like from all over the place. And, and I thought, man, this, this is something I need to, I need to do more of this. There must be a need for this. So I, in 2018, I kind of saw that, you know, my channel was starting to grow a little bit. I really didn't have a lot of videos, but I knew the power of video. Like that's when video was really starting to become a little more popular. And, um, I was, I wanted to get more education on hand health and upper extremity conditions out there. And because like I said, there's not that many certified hand therapists, people don't have access to us. So I thought I really wanted to get more information out there. And so I started my private practice, virtual hand care in 2018. So that was before the pandemic. And that was uh, just doing one-on-one -on -one video consultation. So I was helping a lot of people online only. I had no, I, I was no longer working in a clinic anymore and uh, I was just helping people virtually. And so I kind of started growing virtual hand care, the one-on-one -on -one practice. And then I started really uploading more and more videos on my virtual hand care YouTube channel. And both obviously with the pandemic, then things just skyrocketed after that. <laughs> and so I have had such just amazing growth and virtual hand care has turned into really like a global resource for a lot of people that are needing help with their, with their upper extremity, with their arm, their hand conditions. And they really just don't know where, you know, where to turn, or maybe they don't have uh, access to that. Yeah, for our audience, they're more the layperson. I would say physical therapists know this much about the hand <laughs> and OTs know about this much about the hand, which is just crazy more. So oftentimes in the therapy, we just refer them to OT and let you. Right, that. right. <laughs> um, so you talked about your YouTube channel a little bit. It's virtual hand care and it's also your website address. So you see people online only. Is this with cash or is this um, insurance based or how does it work? So I'm a private practice. Yeah. So I'm a cash based private practice. And so, and the reason for that is because I don't, you know, working in, under the insurance model, like many therapists, if there are therapists <laughs> listening, they understand that you're limited in your time, right. And you're limited in um, like your resources and how many people you can see. Usually there's there's limits to that. And so I never wanted to have a limitation on, on how long I could see somebody. So if I want to see somebody for two hours, I can see them for two hours, right? If I want to see somebody for just a 15 minute checkup, I can see them just for a 15 minute checkup. But it really, what I focus on is more the quality, the quality of care and helping them with what they need, not like 
focusing on just all these random numbers and things that insurance wants, right? Like you, when you're measuring people, I want function. I want them to feel like they're able to get back to their hobbies and their activities. And, and, um, sometimes insurance doesn't care if it's, you know, it might take somebody 20 visits. It might take somebody two visits, right? So like it just, there just shouldn't be a limit and on the care that you give somebody. So I, that's really what virtual hand care started as was more of a, of a cash-based one-on-one virtual hand therapy. But since then it's kind of grown and evolved a little bit because I've I do see people that have some of the same kind of conditions. And so I've started to develop some programs, some uh, thumb arthritis programs for people and starting to see even like larger groups of people with like private support groups and having some courses and uh, things like that for them. So it's really starting to evolve into not just one-on-one. Yeah, your website, you have a lot of different offers. I was going through and looking at your programs <laughs> and everything. It's Yeah, so ergonomics and because I'm also within all that history, I also decided to get my certified ergonomic assistant, a specialist certification and a yoga therapy certification as well. So I kind of dabble in a little bit of everything because I really like to see the whole person, right? It's, it's not just like the physical aspect or just getting the them you know, more mobility and strength. It's also, I see so many people that, yes, they do have limited movement, but it's affecting them being able to play guitar, right? Or it's being affecting them being able to uh, crochet, maybe a blanket for their, for their a new grandchild. It's, it's, and they're very frustrated that they can't use their hands for that creativity, right? And what keeps them busy and what they love to do. So that's really I, I like to look at more whole person and how it affects them. And uh, I really think when you don't look at that, you kind of miss, you miss out on that, you know, on the, on, on the person and um, just all those little extra things that make the hand like so special and so important to, to them. Yeah. You lose a lot of your basic functionality everyday life if your hands aren't working properly. So right, right. it's really effective. All right. The first topic we're going to start talking about is carpal tunnel syndrome. So would you mind explaining to our audience what carpal tunnel syndrome is and some common causes of it? Sure. So carpal tunnel is basically a compression of your median nerve. Carpal tunnel refers to the location of where that compression is happening. So uh, the carpal tunnel is at your hand at the bottom of your palm here and your hand between your thumb and your small finger. So at the base, right before you get to the wrist here and the carpal tunnel space, think of it like a, like, like a tunnel. It's surrounded by bone and the top of that tunnel is a ligament. And within that tunnel is 10 structures. So most people don't realize that tunnel is like the size of a quarter and you've got 10 structures. So you've got a tendon that goes to your thumb, and then you've got two tendons to each of the fingers that go through that tunnel as well. So nine tendons, and then the nerve, the median nerve uh, makes the 10th structure. And so when you are, when you have compression there, it's usually caused from, uh, it can be from uh, positions, poor positioning. So maybe if you're sleeping with like your wrist, 
bent and you've got your fingers curled, you're compressing that area. You can also get it from swelling. So if you have a lot of inflammation in your body, if you're doing a lot of strenuous type of gripping or pinching, uh, vibration too, a lot of people that maybe work with vibration tools, that actually can irritate that nerve. And what happens is over time when you're doing those things that cause nerve irritation or you have increased inflammation, you start getting fluid accumulating in that tunnel. So like I said, it's already a pretty tight space, right? Then you start adding fluid in there. There's really not a lot of room for that nerve. And so unfortunately, that nerve starts kind of getting crammed up against the top of that tunnel. So that ligament and over time, then the nerve itself also becomes swollen leading to even more, you know, even less space in that tunnel. So in order to help that, then you want to obviously reduce whatever it is that you're doing. So you want to get to the bottom of what could be causing that inflammation, what is aggravating that nerve. So if you realize like you're, you're bent in, you know, more of a flexed position, you're sleeping at night, one of the hallmark signs is numbness and tingling at nighttime. That's usually one of the first signs of it. So if you do notice that and you're waking up with numbness and tingling and you notice you are in a flexed position at your wrist or your fingers, you're maybe gripping your hand kind of tight, then usually one of the first ways to help that is to wear a wrist brace to prevent that uh, those poor positions at nighttime. And so that can greatly help, at least for those nighttime symptoms. But do know that even wearing a brace at night will reduce the stress and strain to that nerve and not make it go in those positions, which reduces the strain. And so then that can actually help you reduce the symptoms during the day. So basically, if you're not, I kind of use the analogy of like poking the tiger. If you're doing a lot of activities that cause the numbness and tingling, or if you're staying in positions that might cause that numbness and tingling all the time, you're constantly poking the tiger, right? And so it's going to be easily aggravated. And so if you can reduce any kind of aggravation and at nighttime, the main thing to do is wearing like a wrist brace that can help during the day. But you also do want to do some activity modification during the day. So if you are at the computer and you're, you're typing a lot, you definitely want to take more rest breaks out of those positions such as uh, if you're resting on your wrists or if you're resting right in this space here at that carpal tunnel, you definitely want to remove your hands away from the desk and reduce the compression on that nerve. If you're doing, if you're using a lot of uh, tools that vibrate, there's anti-vibration gloves out there that can definitely help reduce that. Again, the more you can reduce the the uh, aggravation to that nerve, then the more it can heal. And another way to help with carpal tunnel is also by incorporating some movement and in particular nerve glides and uh, nerve flossing techniques, I like to call them. And I can demonstrate those if you'd, or I can kind of talk about those a little bit if you want. 
Sure. Um, so before we get into the nerve glides per se, what parts of the hands are usually affected first when someone has carpal tunnel? Sure. So it's usually the thumb, the index, the middle finger, and half of the ring finger. Most people I find can't quite tell if it's their whole ring finger or ring finger. Most of them don't necessarily say like, oh, it's half this, but some people can, but it is the thumb side. So thumb, index, middle, and part of the ring finger. Now it is important to mention though, that there can be other points of compression of the median nerve and not, not just at the carpal tunnel too. So if you're having some symptoms and those don't quite follow that, you definitely want to maybe see the doctor, get an evaluation to see if there could be other points of compression somewhere else. Yeah, it can be neck, shoulder, elbow. Exactly. Down, so it's good to get treated for that. Yes. Uh, do you want to talk about nerve gliding a little bit as one of the treatment options? Sure. So the nerve, the, the concept of nerve gliding is to because like I talked about it being compressed at the median nerve, right? At this carpal tunnel. So the nerve is compressed in its, there's swelling in there. So it's likely not moving like it should. It's not gliding through that space. It's getting tensioned. And so the, the point of nerve glides or flossing techniques, I like to call it, is to just start getting a little more circulation and blood flow and starting to get that nerve to move through that space, but also move through multiple other spaces that that nerve goes through as it travels throughout your arm and into your hand. So I like to use a flossing technique because you are, think of it like flossing your teeth, right? Your nerve, you're going to floss through the little spaces between your teeth. So you want the uh, nerve to move through the little spaces throughout your whole entire arm. So to do a flossing technique for the carpal tunnel, you want to start, I always like to start with the shoulder because you want to make sure that you're moving the joints that are the kind of the farthest away from uh, the carpal tunnel first. And so what I like to do is start with a little depression in the shoulder. So usually you would stand and, uh, have your arm down at your side and you would depress the shoulder down, almost like somebody's pulling your hand kind of down towards the ground. And you would just kind of stay here for a second or two to make sure that you don't get any uh, changes in your symptoms, any increased symptoms, any increased numbness or tingling. For some people that have a lot of irritability in their nerve in the carpal tunnel, they might actually feel some increased symptoms. And for them, they would you would not want them to progress on. So it's really important to make sure that you're doing exercises for your nerve slow and symptom-free as well. And so you depress the shoulder down. And then if that feels okay, then you can turn. You want to lift your arm up just a little bit away from your body but you want to turn the arm where your your palm is up and you want to relax the elbow. And if that feels okay, so you're still depressed at the shoulder, you've got, you've now turned your hand palm up. Now what you want to do is you want to go ahead and just kind of lightly move that elbow. So you want to go into a little bit of elbow flexion, a little elbow extension, 
And what you're doing here is you are trying to get that nerve to move a little bit, but notice I'm not moving at the wrist yet, right? So I moved at the shoulder, I moved at the elbow, we're slowly working ourselves down into the hand. And then if that feels okay, then you want to go ahead and do a little bit of movement at the wrist. So I like to do a little flossing in the wrist then. So you keep the elbow straight, and then you want to go ahead and just move the wrist a little in a little flexion and a little extension. So you do a little bit of flossing with that, a little bit of back and forth. Again, you do these slowly, though. You want to make sure that you're not getting any kind of increased symptoms. If that then feels okay, you would then progress on where you're lifting that arm up a little bit more into a shoulder abduction. So, so the arm is a little higher. That's tensioning the nerve a little bit more. You've got the elbow straight. And then you can start kind of um, trying to bend that wrist back and forth that way then. So you can do a little bit of flossing with the fingers and the wrist. So bending the wrist a little forward and extending that wrist a little bit. Again, just kind of keeping an eye on that nerve, making sure you're not getting any kind of increased numbness and tingling. If you do, you would back up and you would not progress through this whole entire flossing technique. Now, if that feels okay, then you can start incorporating then the next joint, which is your neck. So if you're gonna be moving, you would move your neck away to the opposite shoulder and then you can bring that wrist down. Fingers would be kind of pointing more towards the ground. So you're in a little wrist extension. That would be flossing that nerve or gliding that nerve through its full length. Now, for most people, that might be too much for them. So they would not progress that far. So then you wouldn't incorporate the neck, but you could stay here and just floss and move the wrist. You can curl the fingers up and bend the wrist, and then you can even then move the neck because now I've slacked the nerve a little bit in my wrist. So and then you would just kind of relax down. Hopefully that makes sense. It's, it's easier to kind of do it at the same time and, and, and watch that. And so you the key, though, is to make sure that you don't have you progress slowly because you want to pay attention to how that nerve feels. And you want to make sure that you do the uh, the you progress in those phases without aggravating that nerve or producing more symptoms because the nerves are not like muscles. They're they're gonna if you're gonna aggravate them and overstretch them, they're just that exercise is not gonna help you. It's it could actually make your symptoms worse. So for the listening only audience, if you want to visually see it, it's on the Bob and Brad podcast YouTube channel. So if you need visualizations, it is over there. Um, so besides nerve glides, what are some other treatment options for carpal tunnel syndrome? So like I mentioned, the wrist brace at night, right? So making sure that you are not adding increased pressure to that carpal tunnel space. So wearing a wrist brace at night, uh, that will help keep the wrist in more of a neutral position, um, activity modification. So that's where I kind of tell people become a little detective. Is there activities that you are doing where you're noticing those symptoms coming on and trying to figure out how can you change or modify that activity so that you're not continuing to aggravate 
the nerve. So if you are leaning on your carpal tunnel area when you're typing and you're doing that for hours and hours during the day, you want to make sure you are coming off of that uh, carpal tunnel area, getting your arms out of that position and not constantly resting on that area. So I would say wrist braces at night, the nerve glides or the nerve flossing techniques a couple times a day so that you can get some increased circulation to that area and get that nerve kind of unstuck in that in that swelling there at the carpal tunnel. And then really activity modifications are also good, um, but also making sure that you do go and see your doctor to make sure that that truly is where your your compression is happening. So you want to make sure it's not like you said, like in the shoulder or the neck, uh, in the, you know, even in the elbow. Is, do you see people after they have carpal tunnel release? Is that what they yes. commonly cause it? Call yep. it. Yes. Yeah. So surgery is an option for, for people too, when conservative treatment isn't working for them, or maybe it's just not uh, some, it's not as bad. Maybe they haven't, um, not everybody wants to jump into surgery, so they want to try conservative treatment, right? But unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't work for everybody. And so, yes, I will see them for a carpal tunnel release. And really, that is, that's a moving type of surgery. So that's the good thing is that most of the time you are, uh, they do the release, they, they cut that little ligament to take the pressure off of that nerve. So the nerve is not compressed anymore. And uh, that's kind of a very simplified way of saying it. Um, and then, but, but you're moving, you're, you're getting your fingers moving, you're getting those tendons that still go, you know, run through that tunnel, you're moving the tendons. And uh, usually there's a little bit of a, um, like a window of time that you have to kind of just, you know, not do as much activities. Um, like, you, have, you know, you have to be careful with strengthening too soon. There's just things like that. But most of the time you can, you go based on your pain level as far as how you progress. But each doctor has their own little protocol to follow after the surgeries. Sure. So visually, in my mind, I'm remembering a patient who was a truck driver and he had the releases. Is that common? Is it just because they're constantly... I think it's like, the, yeah, right? like the vibration from the road, you know, like that's oh. the vibration of driving. It's the positioning. Some of it's the tension too. I notice a lot of people that drive, like they have just, a, they just automatically like clench their fists so tight and they're hanging on to the steering wheel when really like you could reduce that tension quite a bit, right? And kind of just take the, the force and pressure off of those tendons. So yeah, it's, and they're also not moving as much. They're probably driving, right, for many, many hours. And so uh, there's might not be a lot of um, circulation, right? You're not getting your heart rate up as much. And so some of that kind of fluid and swelling might kind of stay in the hands too because of that. Sure. I would imagine, too, because your arms aren't probably – elbows aren't supported as much either. So it's all just going through the hands. Right, right. Um, so besides – carpal tunnel in the hand if someone has tingling and numbness in like their pinky finger and their fourth finger what is that commonly caused by so that's commonly ca caused by cubital tunnel so that's very similar to carpal tunnel but again that's a compression of the ulnar nerve 
And that location is, is the cubital tunnel, which is at the elbow. So at the inside of the elbow. And that usually causes um, numbness and tingling, like you said, to the small finger side and half of the ring finger. Um, but typically that comes from the elbow. But again, just like with any kind of nerve compressions, there can be compressions of that nerve elsewhere. It, you can even get compression of the ulnar nerve even into the palm too. That's uh, a Guillain's canal is what that's called. But yes, it's important for people to kind of be able to identify which side of the hand is numb and tingly because that can definitely help then uh, kind of figure out which nerve is, is compressed. So if someone has cubital syndrome, what should they do? So it's very similar to carpal tunnel, except at the elbow, you have to be careful. You have to, um, if you're getting numbness and tingling from cubital tunnel at nighttime, usually again, it's because you're maybe flexing, like you're kind of curled up and you're over flexing your elbow. Or maybe if you're on your phone, people that usually flex a lot at the elbow and they're, and they talk on the phone, um, they will actually kind of aggravate that cubital tunnel, that ulnar nerve, because it wraps through this elbow right here and, and excessive flexion can aggravate that. So sometimes people will wear like a elbow brace to keep their elbow from going into excessive elbow flexion when they're sleeping at night. So that's usually one way. And another way is uh, nerve glides. So again, doing some nerve flossing of that ulnar nerve. And that's a little bit different because uh, from the carpal tunnel nerve because you're targeting the, the ulnar nerve. Um, but you want to increase the circulation. You want to make sure you're getting that ulnar nerve to glide through that space. Because again, if it's compressed, it's likely swollen and likely not really moving and gliding through that elbow. Um, and activity modifications as well. So if you are, like I said, doing activities where you're bending a lot or you're leaning on your elbows too, a lot of people sitting at desks, they again get tired and they're just kind of leaning to one side. In fact, I've been doing that myself. I've been noticing my left hand has been, I've been getting some cubital tunnel symptoms, but I realized it's because I'm constantly just kind of leaning my arm and my elbow on my armchair, on my armrest. And I know that's what that's from because I've been doing it excessively. And, and a lot of people may not realize, but leaning on the elbow at your desk or uh, your armchair, or maybe leaning it in your car too, you're just constantly compressing that. And uh, there's not a lot of fatty tissue there, right? Same thing in the carpal tunnel. There's just, we don't have a lot of fat there. There's no padding. It's not like our rear end, right? <laughs> we just don't have that extra fat or padding. And so those nerves can get very aggravated if you're constantly just compressing and leaning on them. Yeah. So I'm guessing it's probably pretty easy to differentiate between golfer's elbow and cubital tunnel syndrome, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. The, the golfer's elbow wouldn't cause numbness and tingling. No. I mean, you could get, you could have both, right? But, um, but yeah, the numbness and tingling is always usually more of a sign of some nerve issues going on, nerve compression. And if you don't have the numbness and tingling, but you're having pain on the kind of inside of the elbow, and um, that would could be more indicating of more of like a golfer's elbow. Sure. 
All right. My next subject is trigger finger. So can you tell us what trigger finger is and what causes it? Sure. So it's very common, very, very common. Um, trigger finger is known as stenosing tenosynovitis. <laughs> Basically, it's a really fancy word for, for swelling within the synovial fluid of the tendon. So our tendons have uh, a sheath around, think of it like a covering around it, and that provides nutrients and, and lubrication for the tendon. But um, if you're doing a lot of like repetition, a lot of gripping, um, if you have more inflammation in your body, even sometimes medications can, can cause that. Um, if anytime you're bringing more inflammation to that area or aggravating the tendon, that synovial fluid within that sheath will increase. So that's where the synovitis comes from. It's the inflammation of that synovial fluid. And so unfortunately, though, if that is increased, um, when we go to flex our fingers, our fingers go through tight pulleys. We have these tight, several tight pulleys along our whole entire finger. And I kind of use an analogy of like pulling a grape through a straw. Like you got this like swollen tendon. Sometimes you can even get a nodule as well. There are a percentage of people with trigger finger or trigger thumb that will develop a nodule. But you've got this very swollen sheath, right? The swollen tendon that is um, trying to pull through a space like a straw, basically. And so depending on the grade you have or how severe it is will depend on how that presents on your hand. So there's different stages. So for some people, it's just tenderness. Like when they first start getting kind of that inflammation in there, uh, they might just notice it's I'm pretty painful or tender down here in my palm. And for the thumb, same thing. It's a little bit lower. It's kind of down, down at the base of the thumb here. And then it can progress to where it starts kind of clicking or catching or, you know, a little bit of locking. But most of the time, people can still open their hand back up. So it's when you flex. So when you flex your thumb or when you flex your fingers, that's pulling that area that's swollen through the pulley. And in particular, it's your A1 pulley down in your palm and your oblique pulley down in your thumb. But you can flex, but what happens is your flexors are pretty strong, so they can flex you through all that uh, that pulley, but when you go to try to extend, our extensors are just inherently a little weaker and they it has a hard, hard time extending through that swollen area. So you, you have a hard time, you know, straightening then the fingers back up through that pulley. And then un unfortunately it can progress and become worse to where it gets stuck all the way down. Uh, your finger can get stuck. Your thumb can get stuck across, you know, down where the tip of the thumb gets stuck. And uh, you have to like manually try to unstick it or unlock it. And that's usually very, very painful. Uh, and then it can then even progress even more where it just gets stuck where you either can't flex it all the way down um, or you can flex it down and it's stuck down and, and you have the hardest time lifting, you know, lifting it up and trying to straighten that finger or that thumb back up and out can be pretty painful as it advances on. So what's commonly causes that is just overuse of the hands. 
Usually, yeah, usually it's a lot of gripping, a lot of sustained positions that are kind of forceful for the finger uh, or fingers. Um, but like I said, there's also uh, some medications that uh, I have come across some people that have taken certain medications that actually can increase their chances of some tendinous issues like trigger finger. And um, so it's, it's usually a repetition kind of thing, but I've seen, like I said, it's, it doesn't have to just be repetition. It can be sustained grips and holds. So a lot of forceful type of activities where your hands are staying gripped then for longer lengths of time. Um, and then some medications too. Yeah. My, my mother had trigger fingers. She actually had to have surgery, but hers was, she's obsessed with like gardening and flower beds. Oh, so she's constantly just constantly. Yep. Yep. <laughs> that was her problem. So what are some common treatment recommendations for this? So usually, I mean, you, you can go and get an injection for it, but that's usually just like a 50, 50 chance. It, um, sometimes like it, sometimes it helps, sometimes it doesn't, but I always usually like to try conservative measurements first before you jump into something like, um, surgery or, um, injections just cause the injections have some side effects. And so, I like to reduce the, I like to use the Band-Aid trick. So um, I like to either use a Band-Aid or use like an oval eight ring to reduce or completely try to stop the clicking or locking. So the concept of stopping the clicking or locking will help uh, reduce the strain to that tendon and allow that to rest. So unfortunately with our fingers, the only way to do that is by blocking one of the joints of the finger. So you can use a Band-Aid around the, uh, the middle joint of your finger. So if it's the middle finger, you can put a, a Band-Aid or two around the middle joint of the finger. That still allows you to use your hand a little bit, but not flex so much to where that swollen area goes through that tight pulley. So the band-aid can block you from gripping too tightly and triggering. And same thing with the thumb. You can put a band-aid around the tip of the thumb too to block that excessive flexion that causes that triggering. And so the, the idea is that you're almost kind of splinting, right? So that you can rest that area. But I say that with cautious, being just cautious because you don't want to completely immobilize you, because then you're dealing with stiffness and we know if you're completely immobilized then you know the joints of the fingers and the thumb can get very stiff and then you're dealing with like a second another issue so you you don't know whether it's the stiffness or if it's the triggering that's causing the pain so there's some um definitely some exercises that you can do uh, along with wearing a ring or a band-aid so you want to stop the triggering from happening in the first place and usually the only way to do that is with a ring or with a band-aid. Um, and then you want to then a few times a day do some gentle exercises to the finger, meaning like manually. So you want to use your other hand to, to passively move your finger or your thumb through the full range of motion because you don't want to get stiff. So usually that allows some um, rest to, to occur. And like I said, there's studies that show like there's about a 50% chance that it can work. And, and I've had 
lots and lots and lots of success with um, people healing their trigger finger uh, without using injections and, and surgeries. If someone has hitchhiker's thumb, are they more prone to get it? If somebody has hitchhiker's thumb, like if they're, oh, like me. <laughs> well, oh, not necessarily because there could be, then that's a good point. There are other, other conditions out there that can mimic trigger finger and trigger thumb too. So it's important to identify like if you have like excessive uh, mobility or excessive hyper hyperextension, you, you, it could be coming from more of the backside of the thumb. It could be more of an instability or an imbalance happening. And so if you're getting a little clicking, it's not necessarily trigger finger or trigger thumb. So that's why it is really important to make sure that you do go to the doctor to, to, to truly get a good evaluation and an assessment. Because like I said, there can be other things that like Dupatrins uh, is, is common in the finger, but a lot of people will think they have trigger finger when they have Dupatrins or vice versa. Um, I've even had people that have had um, extensor subluxations, which basically means the tendon on the backside of the hand uh, subluxes over. And when that happens, you can't lift your finger up. Well, then they think their finger's triggered, right? They think it's trigger finger when actually it's happening on the backside. And so same thing can happen um, with hypermobile joints too. Like you can uh, have a swan neck or a boutonniere deformity, uh, things like that. That can be common in people that have a little rheumatism or just some um, hypermobile joints. But I wouldn't say it's necessarily more makes it you're more likely to have it. I would just say that there might be something else going on there that kind of mimics, you know, like a trigger. Yeah. I, Brad and I both seem to have this issue. It's very random when it happens, like maybe three, four times a year, oh, but I'll cool. be like doing something and it's almost like my tendon like pops out and then oh. it really hurts and it comes right back in. So if that's, that sounds like it's probably more on the back, not necessarily yeah. on, no. on the trigger. Yeah. It's the backside, but yeah. I was just curious. Uh, what, so what do you do for, what is it called again? Dupelman? Dupelgan? Dupatrins. Dupatrins. Thank you. So I, I've only heard it a couple of times because Bob, oh. Bob actually has that. So what do you do for that? Oh, 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 so there is conservatively, there's really not a lot you can do for it because it's like a genetic condition. It's it's in your genes. You can thank your ancestors somewhere down the line. They, you know, gave that to you. So you, some people will say like you can massage that, but you actually have to be really careful because you can actually exacerbate that, that tight palmar fibrosis that's happening in the palm. So sometimes you can um, you can do like a little light stretching if it's very minor, but unfortunately, I don't. I haven't found a lot of conservative treatments that help with that. And usually, doctors won't even touch it unless it starts really affecting you or you really start bending down. Then it's usually like surgery, or they do inject some um, like a, a medication into the hand that can break up that tight uh, tissue, and then they'll kind of manipulate the hand to open that back up. Sure. Bob just leaves this. He just likes to let us know about it once in a while. Yeah. Moment. Yeah. My husband has it too, but his is just like, it, he has a noticeable cord 
right? So there's like a, there's mm -hmm. like a cord there and you, you can see that kind of start pull the hand down. But if it's not, if it's not bent, there has to be a certain amount of flexion in order for the doctor to really want to do anything, you know, about it. They do like a tabletop test where you kind of, if you can't lay your hand um, flat and if your hand is raised up on a table, like so far, usually they're like, eh, that's probably starting to affect your function. So usually surgery is, or like I said, the medication that they inject in the hand. Sure. So I'm going to get on to the last subject here. I got sidetracked there. Uh, we're going to talk about osteoporosis. So if someone has typical osteoporosis in their hands, what are some basic things they should do? So if they have, so osteoarthritis, so if they have like some osteoarthritis in the hand, so there is a lot they can do for osteoarthritis. So in the joints, usually you can get it in, right? The tips of the fingers, we'll see those little nodules kind of forming on the, on the tips of the fingers. And then sometimes even in the next joints down, but there is a lot you can do such as um, heat, moist heat can be very helpful for people that have osteoarthritis in the fingers, especially if they wake up with a lot of stiffness in their fingers in the morning, which is pretty common with, with people that have osteoarthritis. Uh, so the best thing you can do is apply some heat, get uh, those larger joints moving even. So like even moving the shoulders, moving the elbows, um, trying to get some increased circulation down into your hands and your extremities. And then of course, doing some movement to your hands and to the little joints of the fingers. So I really like doing um, tendon gliding exercises where you're like straightening your fingers all the way and then you're bending at just the, the tip and the middle joints of the fingers and then you're going down into making a fist. Sometimes that can be a little sore and painful. And so if that's the case, then doing little joint blocking exercises like DIP blocking, that's when you're bending just the tip of the finger. And then the next joint down is PIP blocking. Then you can go and do more whole hand exercises. Most people want to like just get up and start moving and they start want to just make a fist. But really, if you can move those little joints first and move even like bigger joints too, just to get increased circulation and even use a little bit of heat to warm up those joints, especially in the morning, it just sets you up for a much better day too. Uh, when you go to like grab, you know, your cup of coffee or something like that. So mobility movement it is, is really good for, for osteoarthritis. Heat is really good. And, um, finding balance too, like, making sure that you're not overdoing it because we know that osteoarthritis doesn't like not to move. Your joints don't like complete immobilization because they get really stiff and that's painful, right? But then it also doesn't like excessive or really aggressive types of movements either. So, you know, if you're using your hand a lot for a lot of activities, then just kind of making sure that you're finding a balance and you're uh, you know, maybe kind of, so if you're out in the garden, like your mom, if she's like out in the garden, she's weeding and doing all this stuff and she's out there for hours and hours, then she might want to, then when she comes inside, maybe take it a little easy, not decide to bake a cake for somebody, right. Or like decide to do even more activities inside. So definitely finding 
finding a, a balance and a rest there so that you're not constantly stressing those joints and leading to even further joint damage. So for moist heat, if say the person's at home, do you recommend just like under warm water or a warm cloth or like a gel hot pack or something? Yeah. So there's, I mean, there's several different ways. I personally really like using warm water at the same time as movement. So that's really the best way to optimize your mobility is to is to move with the heat at the same time. So if you have, you know, if you're taking a shower in the morning, do some of your tendon gliding exercises right then and there with the moist heat or fill up your sink with some warm water and do a little bit of that. But if you don't uh, want to do that, then yes, definitely you can still use heat with microwavable hot packs. You can definitely, or a gel pack. You can definitely even I even have people that use um, heated blankets throughout the night. And so like they wrap their hands up with heated blankets and that's how they, they wake up in the morning so much less stiff because and that is what works for them. So really, it's just finding, you know, what what feels good for you and what works with your lifestyle. But yeah, any kind of heat with movement um, in water is more ideal so you can get moving at the same time. Um, it increases that circulation to the fingers right away. Plus you get that thermal effect, right? Like your body, your brain is feeling the heat first instead of feeling like the pain. So it's a really good way to kind of mask that, that pain as well. Yeah. For our audience in the clinic, we use paraffin wax a lot and they really liked it, but I realize that gets very pricey if you're trying to do that on your own. Right. Yes. Yeah. It, but it is excellent. I mean, some people swear by it. They, they say that's that's how they get their hands moving and that works for them. And I, yeah, I love paraffin if you can afford that. But yeah, it does. It does get pricey. And then paraffin bath is it is a couple hundred dollars. Some of them are. Um, and then add the paraffin and all that and cleaning it and all that. Yeah, when we didn't have anyone using it, we would often put our hands in there because we live in Minnesota, so winters get cold. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we would just stick our hands in there a lot. You just have to be able to sit still, right? So if you're using both hands and paraffin, like it's not like you can get up and go do anything either. Yeah. So <laughs> one at a time. Yeah. So if a person has osteoarthritis in their hands, what are some things they should avoid doing? So I... Like I said before, like excessive, anything that's kind of excessive, excessively going to stress or strain your joints. So if, if you are gripping a lot or you're picking up really heavy things, you're feeling some pain afterwards. I mean, it's going to be a little different for everybody, depending on the grade of arthritis that they have. But if you're doing some activities and you're feeling just some achiness in those joints, um, it might be time to modify that activity. And so um, anything that is like gonna kind of torque your hand to the side. So, you know, things like, like opening jars, right? Like when you open a jar, you're, you're adding a lot of force and a lot of torque. And so if you have osteoarthritis, um, and you haven't built up some strength, you know, in your hand, or if that's a painful activity for you, if you're in those active stages of osteoarthritis too, some people um, you're you're in those different stages where things are just starting to kind of change in the joint, and you get a lot of pain. So things like torquing, uh, turning jars, and um, 
bottles, anything that kind of makes your fingers kind of go to the side can be can be a little more damaging to those joints. It kind of, you know, pushes them. So if you can use adaptive equipment like electric jar openers or, you know, electric bottle openers, things like that, that can greatly reduce the strain because you're saving your hand, even just that little task, you're saving your hand so that you're not constantly aggravating it, right? That can, you can then use your hand for maybe another activity because you didn't stress it out or strain it or cause pain from opening that jar, right? The last thing you want is to open a jar and then you hurt your hand and then you can't do any other activities. So uh, finding, again, like I said, finding that balance. So if there's some activities that you can modify, like using a little gadget, right? So that then you can kind of reduce the further strain to your joints. Um, picking up really heavy things with your fingers, like grocery shopping bags and things like that. So many times we use our fingers to carry like five bags on each hand and each finger, like that's a lot for those fingers. So I usually recommend use your biceps, use those bigger muscle groups, right? Don't put like really heavy objects on the tips of those fingers. They're, they're not going to be happy. And over time of doing that constantly, right? That's just, that's the wear and tear. That's where that osteoarthritis comes from. Like the wear and tear, you're just constantly kind of wearing and tearing those joints. So are there any other exercises besides what you mentioned earlier you would have someone do? So the, so I always start with the active movement. So like mm -hmm. I said, like the DIP and PIP blocking and then the tendon glides, but then, yeah, you want to work on some strengthening exercises. And for that, I, I really, it depends on where that person is at in their pain level, of course. Um, if they're at the kind of the beginning stages, I like just using like a soft, slow foam block because it allows you to go through the full main range of motion and you can do light squeezing with some resistance without overstressing those joints. So I like uh, slow foam. I like using therapy putty. I like starting with the very lightest therapy putty too, where you can work on gripping and doing little pinching exercises with, with the putty. And then I also like using like a small ball where you're not just working on just gripping, you're working on, on more of an isometric sustained grip where the ball is kind of conformed in your hand. It's protecting the joints. So you're not squeezing all the way through. So if something like squeezing foam or putty is a little sore for someone, then you get a more firm ball and you can start just with simple isometric grips where you just hold and squeeze a firm ball for you know a couple of seconds and then release that way so that's a that's another good way to at least add some strength to the hand and, and then you can as that feels good you can you know slowly start increasing the resistance and the length of time that you that you use it so would you like to mention your website and youtube channel again for our audience sure so if anybody uh wants to reach out to me, they can go to virtualhandcare.com and uh, they can go to virtual hand care. My YouTube channel is virtual hand care. And I'm also on Instagram under virtual hand care. So yeah, in any, any way they want to reach out um, or maybe check out some of the videos that I have. I have several videos on the topics even that I talked about today. So if anybody wants to know about the nerve glides, how to do that, I have some several YouTube videos kind of demonstrating those. If there's 
Is there anything else you want to mention that I maybe forgot to ask? Sure. So I have a, so in reference to the osteoarthritis, so I have a 30-day thumb program. That's for people that have thumb CMC arthritis. So a very common thumb arthritis pain at the base of the thumb. And when your thumb is painful, it feels like your whole hand is painful and you can't use your hand. So I have a 30-day thumb program and I walk you through four weeks. I support you for four weeks and we start with kind of simpler exercises and each week builds on top of, of each week and gets you working on building thumb stability and preserving joint health too, because we also, I also teach you how to incorporate those little kind of activity modifications that I was talking about today, because that's important. It's not just about the exercises. It's also about reducing the further stress and strain to, to your joints. So, so yeah, the 30 day thumb program, they can check that out on my website on virtualhandcare.com. Well, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for being here or for, thank you for, <laughs> <laughs> for having you. There you go. Thank you for having me. It's been great to be here.